Welcome back to Deeper Than Sunday. For those of you who listened to the first episode, this is episode number two. This podcast exists to be an extension of our Sunday teaching here at Grace Church San Diego. This past week, we went through Acts 2, the end of the chapter, verses 42 through 46. Uh, I've got two lovely people with me. Why don't you guys introduce yourself? Hey, my name is Josh, and I was the preacher this Sunday. I'm Nicole. I am just a young kid here. They asked to go on to give. Young kid. Uh, yeah. These You're are not the Gen Z though, right? Nah. I made that clear no. last week. I'm 20 actually. So 20. I'm just here to provide a younger perspective on things. Yeah, we love that. That's why. That's exactly why you're here. And my name is Jeff. I will act as host and conversation facilitator. So let's just get started. Uh, Josh, kind of give us a recap of what you talked about Sunday, the, the six points of the church. Yeah, so this Sunday we saw the launching of the church. 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus, and the question we asked is, uh, what kind of people did the Holy Spirit produce? And that's what Acts 2, 42 through 47 show us, is uh, what were their behaviors, what did they value, what happened to this group of people after the Holy Spirit uh, empowered them? Sweet. Do you want to you go through the six real quick for those of you who listened to it or didn't? Um, you kind of broke up the... These four, these verses into six different things that happen. What are they? Yeah, I tried to make it a little bit more relevant in, in terms of what are the needs that we have based on the things we see in the text. And so I gave us six verses with six needs. And uh, one of the needs was you need a biblical church. Point number two is you need biblical preaching. Point three, you need biblical community. Point four, you need biblical prayer. Point five, biblical generosity. Point six, biblical mission. Awesome. So... Before we get too deep into this, uh, one of the things you said to kick us off is that this is what the early church did, and it's not necessarily what we should do. Um, You use the terms prescriptive versus descriptive. And so my first question is, how do you know? How do you know if something in the Bible is what we should do, or it's just an example of what was done? Yeah. Had you you heard that before, prescriptive versus descriptive? I was at the 11 a.m., and I don't think you used that. The, uh, yeah, I don't that's know. true. The, the nine and the 11 were different. So at the nine, I went too long. <laughs> I preached, uh, yeah, I, I read your question, prescriptive versus descriptive. And I was like, uh Oh, did I miss something? <laughs> I preached seven minutes longer at the nine and the 11. Um, so here's the idea, Nicole, you weren't there. Uh, the book of Acts is not the same as the gospel of Mark or the gospel of Luke. They're different literary genres. And so when you're reading the story in the book of Acts, uh, not everything that's being described is being prescribed. Does that make sense? You don't need everything that they're saying, basically. So, uh, yeah, like just because they sold all their possessions and gave it to those in need doesn't mean that we are prescribed to have to sell everything we oh, like own we and give it. we have to do it, basically. Yes. Okay. Um, another phrase that you know, interpreters use is uh, narrative is not normative. So the narrative that we're reading doesn't mean it's the normative way that we have to live in the life of the church today. Mm-hmm. So what you're reading is describing them. It doesn't mean it has to be us. Now, I pushed back a little and I said, it also doesn't mean it's not possible that it is us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if if we read this, we should allow it to press on us, not just dismiss it and go, well, like, ah, that was the early church. They're, those people were crazy. Uh, different time, different era. Uh, I didn't want us to go that far, but I do want us to realize that, that not everything they do is being prescribed to us. Um, so... It's not descriptive, uh, sorry, descriptive is not prescriptive, but it is possible, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. How, who decides that? 
So, you, so uh, Mark and Acts are different. What, when you're reading the text or when you're reading the Bible, how do you decide whether you should copy that or just say, oh, that was nice for them? Yeah, so this is the, uh, the art and science of biblical hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is uh, doing the work of figuring out what the text meant to the original audience. And so, uh, did the original audience sell everything they own and give it to the poor in every single church that was planted in that first generation? Uh, no. Uh, but did some of them do that? Yes. You see that through Paul's letters. Uh, other churches have offerings taken up that they're giving to other churches. So, there's, there's ongoing, the principle of generosity is an ongoing, never-ending principle, but the way that they were generous is not an ongoing, ever-ending way. Um, and that takes work. And so that's the work of hermeneutics. Then the work of exegesis or is, is taking it from the then and there and applying it to the here and now. So what do we do with it uh, is, is kind of the work that we do all week long, reading, studying, trying to get what the scholars say about the text. Uh, fun books called Commentaries. Nicole's already yawning, so we're in trouble. <laughs> oh, I yawn when I get anxious, <laughs> like a dog. <laughs> that's funny. So here's my question. Um, is there a danger in saying that? Because then we could say, oh, Jesus said that to the leper, or he said that to the rich young ruler. He's not saying it to Jeff Dillo in San Diego. Okay, this is good. Yeah. Uh, only the rich young ruler is told, sell everything you own and follow me. Only the rich young ruler. Yeah. Why? Um, there's other people. Nicodemus in John 3 is told to be born again. That's the only place he's told to be born again. Right. Uh, which, by the way, last week, if you listened, I said that, the Apostle Paul said the wind blows where it goes. That's totally wrong. That's from John fact 3. Checked. Yeah, fact so checked fact checked. Yeah. I made a few errors last week. Uh, <laughs> imagine that. So I think the principle <laughs> is that Jesus is going to go after the thing that you most hold dear mm -hmm. and say that is what you have to give up. I am infinitely worthy of being worshipped, so all idolatry must fall. And so to Nicodemus, admit, brother, you got to be. we got to start over. And, in, and is that true for all of us? Yeah, uh, for the rich young ruler. Hey, we can play the game or I can just tell you straight up, I have to be more valuable than all your possessions. And the guy's like, ah, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Jesus goes after the heart of our idol is the principle, but that looks different contextually. How do we, how do we find out what Jesus is saying to us? If, if the Bible isn't exhaustive, we're not in the Bible, in the story then how do we know what Jesus wants us to do? Yeah, I think the people that are cut to the heart in Acts chapter 2, they're all cut to the heart in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, they all have different things. The, the big one is sin, right? We all have to repent of our sin that we've rebelled against God and chosen our own way. But the way we chose our own way is lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. And so one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict you and reveal to you the thing that you're hiding behind your back, the thing that you're holding I on think, to. I think um, also for me, it's just like the conviction you feel. That's how you know Jesus is talking to you, similarly to what you just said. But um, I just went through like a 40-day fast over the last month, and it ended last Monday. Um, not food. I can never. But yeah. um, You guys can't see Nicole. She's like in bed, like looks real bad. Oh my gosh. No, my mom, my mom actually said my makeup looked really no, good today. I'm so I know I look good. <laughs> Making a fasting joke, Nicole. Whatever, Sorry. Jeff. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought. No. Okay, so I at the end of my fast, I was like, I don't know if I should keep this going or if I should stop here. And I just prayed over my um, morning devotion, like in 
time in the word and literally right there god like spoke to me through second peter and telling me about how like waiting and then how god blesses us after that waiting period too so i thought that was really cool and um just being able to relate to the conviction like and feel what he's telling me like i think that's how you would know it's just gift. like yeah. feeling what like being related to what's going on in the bible like if you can relate then god is talking to you so okay so we kind of get an idea now of that this is just a a description of what acts did it's possible but it's not prescribed right um as i was listening to the message and i think a, a lot of the feedback we got is that these six things the biblical membership, the teaching, and so on, every single one of them feels like, I don't want to do that. Like I, like my wall goes up as soon as you say, yeah. hey, you need uh, to be in a biblical community. Like you have to do this or we're, we're suggesting that you do this. It just doesn't feel right yet. It seems to be the design of the church. Yeah. So I tried to present these as gifts, as blessings, as uh, protection for us uh, as a means by which we are transformed. And so uh, the difficulty is in each one of them, there is a counterculture component where we, we feel like this is hard for us. So you need a biblical church and biblical membership. Uh, no one wants to join anything nowadays except like Costco and Planet Fitness. Like that's it. Yeah, I agree. We're giving out free coffee at SDSU on Mondays and nobody wants to come up because they're scared of what free means. Yeah, it feels... It's weird. It's weird. We're just like, no, we're just, we're here to give you coffee. It's like, like, it feels baited a little bit. It. Like, yeah. okay, where's the switch? Where's and I the feel turn? bad. I feel so bad because that's well, not if, our I intention. I think that's probably why people don't want to join a church. No. Yeah. Like, well, if I join, then I've got to go to these meetings and I've yeah. got to, you know, not be autonomous. And lead other people. I think that's what people are really scared of these days, just leading and stepping up. I think that's what I've seen a lot lately. Any, any like intentional accountability mm -hmm. uh, is hard. Uh, if It feels like if what you're asking me to do requires sacrifice or I don't like it, then I will not be signing up for that thing. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes maybe you join, you join CrossFit because you have to, you know, get in shape and, and that community is going to help you if, if that's your thing. Uh, but generally, if it doesn't benefit me, I'm out. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's going to ask something of me, then I'm out. And so I would say most people that have an issue with church membership probably don't get that issue biblically because I think there's good evidence in the Bible for church membership. Uh, the exclusion of the immoral brother implies the you know the uh, inclusion of the people. I, I said on Sunday that there's not a shepherd in Israel that couldn't tell you how many sheep they have. Mm -hmm. you, you can't leave the 99 to get the one if you don't know you have 100. Uh, later in the book of Acts, there's a fight over the widows not being taken care of. That means there's a list of widows and they're paying attention to that. So all, all of those are implied membership. So typically, um, it's an American, Western, autonomous, individual problem with church membership, not a biblical, spiritual, God intends this for me problem. Yeah, and I think we can't ignore the reality of church membership for some is that it's been damaging. It's been... Oh, yeah. There's been story after story that you hear of people joining a church and they were just abused in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. um, so how do, we, how do we navigate that reality yet still call people to join a church? Yeah, so in the biblical generosity piece, I, I told the church, I'm like, this is socially attacked all the time. 
why should the church have tax-exempt status? Why should I have to give 10%? And then those people that are like, 10% is not biblical. Look at the New Testament. They gave all. And they feel like pastors are manipulating them and gaslighting them and leveraging them. And then they're like, the church runs on free labor. Look at all these volunteers. And it's like, hey, hey, Susan, you give two <laughs> hours on a Wednesday. Relax, okay? Uh, Scott's wife's name is Susan. So I yeah, we're talking about Scott's wife. Why didn't you just say Karen? <laughs> hey, Karen. Uh, <laughs> There's already a name this time. Yeah, don't, don't go <laughs> making Sorry, a new one. Sorry, all the Karens are good uh, <laughs> We love you. You're like, hey, I get it. The, a couple hours. Uh, but, Jeff, the sentiment is real. That uh, that that place hurts people. Why would I want to go there? Um, I've been hurt by that place, and sadly, Christians um, are sinful and broken. And rarely, when you hear a deconstruction story or someone leaving the church story, rarely, if if not never, are they mad at Jesus. They're rarely mad at Jesus. Often, never mad at Jesus. They're typically and always mad at his church. Yeah. And so, I, I get that it's an uphill battle. Um, but it doesn't, if you open to Acts chapter 2 and you read it, it doesn't feel like the apostles forced them to be generous. They just were. And it doesn't feel like the apostles beat into them, spend time together every day. The Spirit seemed to birth that out of them. Um, and so I'm really inspired by that, that the Holy Spirit can do the heavy lifting of redeeming a people and making a church good for your flourishing even though in a world there there is abuse and there's brokenness. So it's yeah. no easy task, but worth the effort. But I think it, this happens often is that the negative story gets amplified. But yeah. look at how many churches throughout the years and centuries that have done it well and have treated people well and changed people's lives for the better. Those stories typically don't get told. Sure. And, and so I, th- I think it's difficult then for the world at large to join a church or to want to join a church because those stories never get told. They don't, they don't make the news. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, most things you join for your benefit. Yeah. And I used to work in the restaurant industry, and they would tell us bad reviews get written like much faster than a good review. Mm. And um, how a bad experience, you want to write about it, and you want to tell people about it. But a good experience, you're just like, oh, yeah, it was nice. But you don't write about it. You don't tell people about it as easily as you would tell people something bad. That's so true. There are very few TikToks where like someone's like, guys, I got all the news. I love my church. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> Same with the news, too. Everything's just mm-hmm. bad news. If it bleeds, it leads, yeah. right? Cool. So uh, one and two are kind of, the, kind of similar to me, joining a church and then kind of sitting underneath teaching. Um, but one of the, one, the third one that we spend a lot of time on Sunday is this biblical community. Josh, can you recap what biblical community is? What it, what are what is uh, what are they doing in Acts two that we're trying to be called to? Yeah, in Acts two, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, so that's the preaching component, and then to fellowship, and in the Greek, that's koinonia. And so there's a commonality, there's a union there that is given to these people that are from all different backgrounds, all different areas. Three thousand people now have the union and community of the triune God Himself. That what. God the Father, Son, and Spirit have is now gifted to the church that, that they can be in fellowship. And then a few verses later, uh, it says they were in the temple and in the homes daily. So what I try to say is biblical community is home-centered, informal and formal, and daily. And so, yeah, there's a temple element of going to church, but that that's not where the magic is. And then there's a home element, like going to house church, but that's also not what the magic is. The magic is in the dailiness of spending life together. 
informally, and then that brings a ton of meaning to the formal gathering. So it requires both. So we got a, a very good question um, that I want to kind of camp on for a little bit. What does that look like practically? San Diego, 2023, you got a job, you got kids, you got activities, everything that modern life has for us. Yeah. Then we add community into that. How does that work and what does that look like? Yeah, I, I want to try to give some practical stuff that I've experienced in my own life. Um, before we got into the what does it look like, I told the church, this is the hardest one for us. Like nothing is harder than dailiness for us. This this is the challenge. And the challenge is so worth the effort because uh, Nicole's generation, uh, the, the Gen Z among us, whether they like to be that or not, <clears throat> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, have moved from... Uh, expressive individualism, radical individualism to what uh, sociologists are calling performative individualism. And so what I tried to do is say koinonia is the antidote to performative individualism Mm -hmm. that I'm going to generalize and you can speak on behalf of your generation for us, Nicole. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, There is a, uh, a loneliness and an unknownness met with this pressure to perform and be expressive and individualistic and it's this sounds so extreme but it's crushing a generation yeah um i just read a stat the other day that said we're like my generation is the loneliest generation and people are like but why you have cell phones you're more connected than ever but at the same time yeah we have that but then that means we can be at home and just texting our friends instead of being with them and being with them in person and um, it's such a big need, that sense of community. Like get like kids my age, get kids. Why do I call them kids? Kids. <laughs> kids. But people my age, we get lost in work and school. Like my coworkers work three jobs while going to school. And I just, I am stressed out with one and volunteering and interning here. Yeah. And, um, but thankfully I have that sense of community here. So I don't feel that stress. And I just can't imagine what it's like for students to be working full-time and going to school full-time, and especially now in final season. Like, my friends are more stressed out than ever. And um, my first episode on my podcast was about finding peace in solitude. And that was a very highly received message because people are like, I don't know how to be okay with being alone. And one of the things I talked about was People feel like they're okay with being alone, but they just spend their alone time on their phones or watching TV. And when they don't have that, then they're really not okay. And the anxiety and depression set in. So it is, it's a, that's the true like pandemic epidemic that's going on right now. Yeah. And the, um, the underlying theological hope of, of talking about this in the sermon was, um, there are lots of people performing for their identity. Mm-hmm. And the message of the gospel is that your identity is gifted to you outside of any performance of your own. It is received, not achieved, right? To say it in a cool, trendy way where most podcasters would go, mm, that's so good, and they would you know, do that whole thing. But we don't do so that. Good. That's not so a, good. So good. That's, that's not our thing. I love that. that was, you, yes. you, you create mm-hmm. some kitschy little phrase like that, and you, you just you drop the mic. Pop right? off queen. So... <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, do you feel, I want to get back to Josh, but do you feel that need to put out an image of yourself? Um, I think yes, because since I started my personal podcast, I've also tried 
creating an internet page on both Instagram and TikTok to try and grow a following. And it's been kind of more stressful than I thought it would be because the first week I was like, oh, this is so much fun. Can, listen, can we on this podcast live talk about you starting a podcast? Oh my. <laughs> can we? Okay, let's just for a moment. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, I'm barely old enough to remember blogging, being <laughs> Zanga, Blogspot, this sort of thing. But love you, Nicole. No one in my generation would have thought I am such an expert that I should get on the internet and share my thoughts. Oh, I don't think I'm an expert. No, not even expert, but like I am worth sharing. Like, that is a, uh, on one hand, like it wasn't even possible because our generation didn't have microphones. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're not that old. Are well, you no, kidding? Like, Jeff, would you agree? Like, oh, yeah. Only the radio station had the means yeah. mm-hmm. the to gap, record The gap stuff. between the, an average person and a celebrity was massive yes. back then. And yes. it is slowly <clears throat> and then now quickly shrunk. Yeah. You Which, can self appeal celebrity terminology and language in life just because you have a microphone and a podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not bad, by the way. It's just new. Mm-hmm. It's a new thing. Yeah. Um, and so you are confessionally talking about your life and your experiences. And that, again, is not... We used to do it in a diary and mm-hmm. put it under our bed. <laughs> You're doing it for the world. So love you, friend. That in and of itself is performative individualism. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, can, I know. We, I 100% agree. Um, it's it's interesting because I am taking my personal experiences and things that I was like crying and cursing God through. And now I'm just telling people, but you don't have to be like this. Yes. And that again, please, I got no beef. I think it's there's good there. <laughs> you got no beef. I, I, yeah. I'm just trying to use this as an illustration Absolutely. to say, be careful, my friend that those likes and those comments don't become a, a, an achieved identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if if you receive your identity from Jesus and walk in that boldly, then podcast your heart out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the temptation that your generation faces a little differently than ours. Yeah, We had our own stuff. Uh, but that particular one is you need to express yourself in a way to be loved. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I definitely see that. Like, especially on Instagram more so than TikTok, I'd say, but Instagram is just such a hard platform to break through. And I find myself like, Oh, why didn't that explode? Why didn't that go viral? But then I'd be like, I'm like, why, why do I care? And then I'm back to square one. Like I want to grow my platform, but yeah. So it's like in a, a never ending circle because I'm, I'm always constantly reminding myself that I'm doing this to spread the word, to show how Jesus has worked in my life. And I don't want to take from that and make it something like me, me, me. I want people to see that Jesus is alive. He is real and he's working not only in me, but in everything around me too. So. It's so good. Um, I really hope you know, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm going to go home and cry now. <laughs> Josh. <on. laughs> Let me encourage you, all well, of us. Here, I'll, I'll help us. So the reason you brought it up is that if us. we have biblical community, we have no need for going viral. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. There's a, there's a real... Uh, it's hard to turn off this world of like, I control what people see, mm-hmm. which is social media. Yeah. And then move into a space where I don't control what people see, mm-hmm. biblical koinonia. That's the tension. You and me and Jeff are desperate for places where we don't have to control what people see, mm-hmm. where we don't have to perform to be accepted. 
since the Garden of Eden, we've been hiding and controlling. We've been hiding our sin and controlling what people see. And here comes Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and it's like, hey, great news. You no longer have to perform to be a part of this thing. And so I think performance isn't going away. It's, it's just not. It's, there's too much dopamine involved <laughs> for, uh, for that to go away. But it, it's possible for the believer in Christ to enter that space already satisfied. Mm-hmm. Most people enter that space to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Therein lies the tension. Yeah. And that's why you need real people in the real world who really know you, really love you, and know when you're hiding and know when you're lying. And so that's why you need biblical community in your home. When your home's messy and the dishes aren't done and your kid's in the bath and there's towels on the couch, like that whole thing, you're desperate for that. And so am I. Mm -hmm. And that will transform you. Um, Not controlling what people see and only letting people clap for you. Totally. Uh, yeah, and I think that's how the kingdom moves is in those small communities, not over... Like, Billy Graham is great. He did a lot for the yeah. kingdom, right? But typically, the kingdom doesn't move forward that way. It moves forward of a group of 12 to 14 people who come over and see Dirty Laundry and hang out with each other, and they're they're countercultural. They're, you know, you always talk about the in-drag of the church, right? It's something to behold for yeah. the world at large, and... They see it and say, "Ooh, I want a piece of that." Because yeah. it's it's unique. Mm-hmm. To to get all the way back to answering your question now, um, what I was appealing to is for us to spend more time together. Now, how do we spend more time together? Uh, really practically, I've learned these from other people. Um, I remember a discipleship group from Oklahoma coming up to Washington and talking about what they call double dipping. And here's what they meant. Every time you go to the grocery store, Home Depot, Costco, every time you do that, text your house church and see who can go with you. So mm-hmm. here's their their appeal was like, do what you normally do, just do it on purpose. Invite other people in. Um, every time you have dinner with others, uh, let them stay and do the dishes with you and just process. So it's not an event, right? It's just, we had dinner together, we're going to stay and do the dishes. Um, the you eat 21 meals a week. How many of those meals are with other people? And you're like, Josh, I intermittently fast. Okay. I only eat whatever, <laughs> 14 meals. I don't eat breakfast. Skip breakfast. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. You have 14 meals a week. How many of those are eaten with others versus how many of those are eaten while scrolling through social media and eating your acai bowl as quickly as possible between breaks? So uh, it does take effort, but the principle was more time together equals more transformation. Mm. Mm, so good. Amen. Oh, yes. Amen. Mm. Yeah. Woo! yeah. The things that you listed seem pretty <laughs> mundane. Like it doesn't yeah. seem magical as yeah. you've described it. How do we know? Like, have you experienced it personally? Yeah. I talked about a church up in Oakland and, and how they um, live life together to such a degree. It almost looks cultish. Uh, and I joke that if you're not being accused of, being a cult, you're probably not doing biblical community. And some people laughed and some people left the church, right? <laughs> like, not really, Nicole. Oh. <laughs> She's like, who? Uh, like, wait, I didn't know. Here. I don't know who laughed. <laughs> Does somebody say drama? Drama. Uh, the, the church I referenced has really committed to doing life together. Uh, here, the best way I can say it is like, do you guys have actual siblings? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If your actual sibling showed up to your house, actual sibling, and y'all have decent relationships, I'm assuming they could come in and eat your food without really asking and come in and like do life yeah. with you. Yeah. They have a theology 
of brother and sister mm-hmm. that is to the level of family. So every one of their outworkings as a church really just look like family. My brother could borrow my car and it wouldn't be a deal. My sister could take my stuff and it wouldn't be a deal. Mm-hmm. But when someone in the church does it, it's, it's a little bit of a deal, right? And so uh, my brother could help me all day at a house project and then come the next day. And I wouldn't think that I need to like give him 50 bucks and some food. You know, we should give people 50 bucks and food. That's just being a good neighbor. But you, you kind of get the principle that yeah. I'm saying there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's hard to treat church people like my actual brother and my actual sister. Um, here's, a, here's a question. You're only one, one preacher out of the thousands, maybe millions, probably thousands. What do you want the church to look like? five to 10 years. You know, we've only gone through three of the six, but just in terms of membership and preaching and all of them really, you know, I think we all asked this question during the pandemic and now we're kind of back to normal. Maybe we've stopped asking the question, but what do you want the church to look like? Or what do you think God is calling the church to look like? Yeah. Um, as a person, I love innovation. I love creativity. I love future thinking. Um, I, one of my top five strengths is futurist. Uh, but when I talk about the church, I say, I, I don't I want us to look like the past. What if the future of the church looked like the past? And uh, I think what I mean by that is going back to this more simple, local, meaningful, ingrained, rooted expression of a Jesus community. Uh, family on mission is a term that I've heard over the years that's just been beautiful and stuck with me. So family on mission, not family and mission, not family in mission, but but both of them together. And so the more local, the more rooted, and the more um, good news we can be locally, the better. Now, none of that is particularly compelling unless all of us do it together. And so it it's hard to get your people. So Nicole, what are your gifts? Do you feel like you're using those in the church? Do you feel like you have a community that's on mission together? If you can get into that space where you're a disciple maker, you have the gifts to make disciples, and then one of the people you disciple can make disciples, then I would say we are fulfilling the Great Commission in San Diego. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. Um, and and by God's grace, that will make its way to the ends of the earth. Um but performative, stage-centered, personality-driven, consumeristic, therapeutic, deism kind of church is still popular, but I think the sun is setting on that model. Um, it's not done. Not done at all. But uh, my hope is that the sun is setting. Does that make sense what I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. Nicole's looking at me like, bro, what are you talking about? I have no idea. <laughs> Nicole, what is, what is your vision of the church? Um, mine? Yeah, what do you, what would you think oh, God gosh. wants us to be? I never thought I'd get asked this question. Well, but, um, time. well, house churches were introduced here like a year ago, I'd say, right? When, yeah. when you got here, so a year and a half ago. And, um, they've honestly just radically changed my point of view on church because I came you're back. Tr- you're a leader, right? Yeah, I lead a college-aged house church. It's like 18 to 24, but. Like, I was just thinking in my head, like, one of my girls, she lives, like, four blocks away from me, and I'm picking her up after this, and we're going to the dog beach, because <laughs> she she doesn't have a dog, but she loves my dog, so I'm like, oh, you can borrow mine for the day. So, it's just, like, that kind of thing, and opening, being able to, like, open up my house to who people who were strangers and have them 
come in, like open my refrigerator. Like, I don't know if I can drop names on here, but <laughs> it's up, to, up to that person. Yeah, Somebody think? at house church last week came out with like a drink in their hand. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know. Like, where'd you find that? Did you bring that at home from home? And he's like, Oh no, I found it in your fridge. And <laughs> I was like, I didn't even know we had that. I'm so glad you're able to find something that can suit your taste. How'd you feel? Were you, did you like that? Or did you? Oh, I was baffled. I just hope it wasn't my brother's or something. And he wasn't mad at me later, but was it alcohol? No, no, it was, a, <laughs> it was a, it was a Pepsi. That's why I was so surprised. Cause we don't like Pepsi. We like, we're a Coke drinking family and he comes out with a Pepsi and I'm like, where was that from? So seeing like these people come into my home and open drawers, looking for utensils, pass out plates to each other and like tell people where the bathroom is like new people where the bathroom is that's just like so I I love it I really love it I love hosting for that reason and I think that's just such a cool community to be able to be a part of and just watching them go off without me and having it continue to work without me there I think is like the best feeling too because then I yeah I don't know it's just I'm able to like step back and just like see what it is and not like I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Maybe you can help me. Uh, I just think you're you're doing life together. Yeah, and life together is messy, mm-hmm. just like it is in a family. Uh, at our first house church, someone brought a six pack of Modelo. <laughs> <laughs> so, because they're like, "Oh, we're coming over. I should bring something." And, yeah. and we, you're just it's messy and it's beautiful and and it looks like it's chaotic. It's real ministry, it's and I, I think you being engaged in the life of the church in that way is is what you're created for, mm-hmm. and and I love it. So. Yeah. So the answer, your answer to the question, Josh, is the church should look more like the past, right? Yeah. My question is, follow-up question, if we want the church to look like the past, how do we do that in a modern context? Where, So, for example, I read this book, a uh, very popular book by John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. I was like, this is what I want my life to be. I want to slow down. I want solitude, all the things that he depicts in the book. But then I looked at my life and I'm like, I don't think this is possible. I don't think, like he jokingly says we should drive under the speed limit. And I'm like, then I'd be late for work. Like I've, <laughs> I've literally got my day packed so tightly out of necessity, not out of, oh, I want to perform. I, you know, I don't, I'm not in love with money. I don't want to make a lot of money. I'm just trying to survive, it feels like some days. So how do we um, do this biblical community and all the things that they talked about at the end of Acts in a society that is kind of set up to force us to work all the time, to raise our kids, to take them to all the things. How does that happen? I think it's funny because I was just thinking about this the other day. But um, on my way home from work, I was like, I don't want to like listen to music and I don't want to sit in silence either. And I was like, oh, let's. I check all my best friend's locations and I'm like, who's at home? Who can answer a phone call right now? So I would just spend my commute talking to my friend instead. And it's not the same because it's not in person, but at the same time I'm having my girl talk. I'm checking in with my friends and I feel like it's like a much more productive thing than sitting in my drive, just listening to music. So that was just kind of my little life hack. That's good. So it takes creativity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that story I told about the church in Oakland, uh, I remember their pastor telling me that he, he is, he's an empty nester, his kids are out of the home, but he would, he would text a large list of, uh, they, they've so ingrained this in their culture, he would text tw- 20 people and be like, what are you guys having for dinner tonight? And then whoever was having the best dinner, he would go there and eat at their house. <laughs> 
it was just kind of a game of like, mm-hmm. I just want to eat the food I want to eat. Uh, but they are, they have so figured out family that it's just funny to, to, to live in that. So how do we, how do we actually do it? Um, you, you have to repent. Um, everything that Jesus is doing is a counter cultural reversal of the world's values. So how do we turn away from the world's values? We repent. We say, God, I'm sorry for, uh, not stewarding my life and my job and waking up late and having to speed and all, all those things, which by the way, that's normative, Jeff, relax. <laughs> Everybody else is going fast. I'm just <laughs> yeah. following the crowd. Following the crowd. Um, so you, sinner. repenting of the places where we have just settled to look like the world and then being intentional. And this is where I would say that the group that you're doing discipleship with, you, you be intentional with those people to say, help me look like I live in the kingdom. Um, mutually hold me accountable, mutually submit to a new world with me. And and it starts in your house. It starts in your marriage. It starts with your kids. It starts with your discipleship group. And so, uh, again, this is not easy, but this is a vision that was birthed out of the Spirit, you know, indwelling a people. And that's what I mean by the past. I don't mean like 10 years ago. I don't mean like this is not uh, make the church great again kind of thing. Like, is that too? That's, that should have said spicy. that. Uh, this, this is, um, there are some principles. I'm not anti-innovation. I'm not anti-technology. Uh, none of that. I'm not anti-Nicole having a podcast. Have I made that clear? I'm very insecure about it. It sounds like you're really yeah, anti. Okay. Uh, I'm not anti any of that. I'm just pro us repenting of the places where we just are basically looking like the world and, and, and fighting for our very lives to do the things prescribed in scripture, not just described, but prescribed. Uh, how do you do the one and others that are all prescribed? Love the, the, the one and others that we're supposed to do to it. You have to be together to do those things. And so it's, it's worth the effort, though it's hard. I just think we're selfish, man. When, you know, like the jokes of like, I love to cancel. Have you seen all those videos of like, nothing makes me happier than when plans are canceled? Oh, when extroverted me made the plans, but introverted me have to yeah, deal with like, them. <laughs> I get that. That's totally normal. Uh, you get the text and you don't want to be there and you mm-hmm. check out the last minute. I get it. Um, what if that was spiritual? Mm-hmm. I kind of have a follow-up question on that. Yeah. What would you say to like your fellow introvert in this sense? Like who really oh, loves their solo time? Because this is something I struggled with over the years where I kind of recharge on my own and being with people it, like mentally exhausts me. And like a couple years ago, I was like in the most depressive state I've been in because I was with like obviously not the best crowd, but I was with people every day and I was just tired. So would you tell them to kind of put that individualism She's down? She's saying is introvertism a product of the fall? Yeah. Is that the, oh. No. Is that what I'm uh, saying? I'm just I don't joking. know what I'm saying. I have, <laughs> I'm going to try to answer. COVID changed us. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into that deeply, but there, there's some real social anxiety that happened. Um, kids that were born in COVID. I have a COVID baby. It took her a while to adapt. A COVID baby. Um, I... I think you have to ask the question, um, is this for my good? Did God design this for my good? And if so, am I willing to sacrifice in order to do what God has designed for my good? And so God has designed us to be in community. You go, I don't like that. Well, am I willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. and do something uncomfortable to obey the thing that God has given me for my good? Uh, and if so, then stop leaving text unread. Stop canceling plans. Stop doing that stuff because it is not good for man to be alone. That's mm-hmm. We're going to cover that next week. Uh, in in detail, uh, but there is a 
there is a sacrificial requirement and a repentance requirement often to give you the life you actually want. Nicole, introverts, listen up. The life you want is balanced. Mm-hmm. It's not alone all the time. Um, that there, There's some real danger there. Extrovert, it's okay to be alone. Um, the, the issue is finding balance. Well, look what Jesus did. He was with 12 dudes, and then he'd go off and be by himself. He, yeah. he, he showed balance. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I knew we would spend all of our time on the third point, but there's three more. Um, biblical prayer, biblical generosity, and biblical mission. How can we round this out um, to, to get a, a better picture of the church and, and what it should look like with prayer, generosity, and mission? Yeah, so the first four of these are like inward, and then the last two are like generosity and mission are outward. And so uh, my hope this Sunday was simply to put before the church these principles that the Holy Spirit you know, embodied a people to live into. And so we're going to work these out for the remainder of our lives. Our, our Grace Church values came out of Acts chapter 2, the five values that we have as a church. And so um, the ask on all of us where we ended the sermon was uh, the word is devoted in Acts 2. They're devoted to all these things. And so we asked the question, uh, if you were to look at your life, would you use the word devoted when you think about your engagement in the church? your engagement in the Word, your engagement in prayer, your engagement in mission? And if not, um, would you be willing to invite the Holy Spirit in to challenge you and correct you and repent and say, God, would you make me a devoted person to the things that are for my good and for my transformation? Yeah, that's good. Nicole, uh, after listening to the message, what was your what was your take on it? Your overall <clears throat> vibe? My t- my vibe. Yeah. The my main vibe takeaway. Well, I had to go home and re-preach it to my parents because they weren't there. So I have practice in you, this. You preached to them? No, I didn't. Yeah. I was like, so basically, Josh said this, and then he said this. No, <laughs> but I think my main takeaway was, um, it's funny because as soon as we read verse forty-two, um, Acts two forty-two, um. I underlined teaching, fellowship, prayer, and then also circled devoted before we even started the whole sermon. Like that was just like the first thing that stuck out to me. Um, and I don't, I, I have sometimes a hard time explaining things, but I think I just really took away everything and the fact that it's all a need in the church for it to function correctly. Like we need to be devoted individuals. We need to be receptive to the teachings. We need to have fellowship with each other. And then we also need to have a strong prayer life for us to have a successful community and Christ filled church. Yeah. And the, the piece that comes later that I didn't get to spend much time on is the, they had favor in the world. Mm -hmm. They had favor with the, the people around them. And so, um, one of the ongoing questions we have to ask, and if you're listening and you lead a church, uh, a question that's worth asking is, what What does our neighborhood think of us? Do we have favor in our neighborhood? Are we good news? Because in Acts 2, they, they seem to have that favor. It was kind of birthed out of, the, out of their generosity, but it was also birthed out of the type of people they were. And so how, how are you doing in your city? Now, there are people listening that, that may be like, we're not supposed to have favor. Like our job is to be basically the prophet Isaiah, and make people and, uncomfortable. And we have got to go out there and speak the truth to good luck growing your church heathens. Yeah, mm-hmm. there is a. This is what's crazy. You can grow your church by taking that brand, that that brand of like we contend. 
uh, it's theological. It's built out of a theology that says we're here to be prophetic. And prophetic is often harsh and aggressive and, you know, policing things. And, um, and people are drawn to that that are also prophetic. They're very drawn to that. Uh, and then there's the priestly. We kind of talked about this last week. We're like, all we are here to do is show empathy and good, and we should never say anything. And again, the, the prophet, priest, king model, the Old Testament, Jesus is the embodiment of those things. So his church should embody being prophetic and being priestly and also being kingly, like organized. We have a food uh, distribution. That's, our, that's a priestly and king ministry because it's giving people to have food, but it's incredibly organized and lots that goes into it. So how do you have favor in your city while remaining prophetic and while remaining priestly? Um, is no easy task, but they seem to have figured that out in the early church. And I hope, I hope that we can live into those things. And um, there's places where I want to be prophetic, but I don't know that we've been priestly enough yet there. I don't think you always have to put it in that order. Um, and I don't think oftentimes churches that have won favor in their city have done so in a way that is biblical and good. Maybe they won favor in a way that was more worldly than the word. Uh, but I'm not, you know, I'm not judging those churches. It's a hard thing to do to, to try to win favor in a city. Uh, but they had an Acts too, and I think it should challenge us today. So let's put a bow on it. I want you to say, what do you want our church to look like? I want us to look like Acts chapter 2. <laughs> Uh, as, as, as hard as that is. Um, I, I think these six truths that came out of the text are really beautiful ingredients for transformative church. And uh, that, that's my hope, is that we would be people that say, I'm devoted to those things like they were. And, uh, and if we do that, here's the, the promise. It looks like in the text that the promise is if we do those things, Jesus will build his church among us. We don't have to build the church. Jesus will do it. So we need to be about the business of these things. And, and then we look at Jesus and go, hey, you made a promise that you'd build your church. So we're just going to rely on you to do that part. And we'll do this other stuff. That's so good. Thank you guys so much for listening. That's week number two in the books. Do not forget, um, this podcast is nothing without you guys. So if you have questions after you listen to the message, email us at podcast at gracesd.com or get on our Instagram. We're going to have a story with a question there that you can drop in uh, any questions that you have about the message. Um, and yeah, we'll be back here next week. Thanks, guys, for chatting. Mm-hmm.